Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast, episode two. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host today. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the diamond water paradox and why it matters today. The diamond water paradox uh, was something formulated by Adam Smith in 1776, his book, the, An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations, which today we usually just call The Wealth of Nations. Uh, it was a book that you know, had a lot of stuff in it, that uh, much of which was not original to Adam Smith, but the book was perhaps the first truly great synthesis of a lot of these ideas. And so, you know, a lot of uh, what Adam Smith talked about, uh, we still have in our lexicon today, we still talk about the invisible hand, uh, for example, that, that uh, you know, guides trade, guides commerce to reach efficient solutions and things like that. And so Adam Smith talked about uh, lots about the terms of trade and, and, and how value is established um, and how value it, it forms price, right? So if, you're, if you have an exchange between two people, and you've, so you, the first thing you've decided is what it is you're going to exchange. And the next thing you have to decide is at what price you're going to exchange it. And so price is obviously super important uh, in, in exchange. And, and Adam Smith spent a lot of time talking about what causes price. What is the nature of it? Now, back then, economists assumed that in order to have a price, uh, there had to be something of value. There had to be some sort of underlying intrinsic value. Not like today. Today we trade all sorts of things that have no intrinsic value and and yet have a price. You know, various uh, cryptocurrencies are that way. Fiat currency, for that matter, is that way. There's nothing fundamentally uh, beneath any of those currencies except a belief that other people are going to accept it. But there's nothing intrinsic intrinsically valuable to them. Um, and so there, there are lots of examples of that today where something which has effectively no value nevertheless has a price. But back then, you know, Adam Smith wouldn't have sort of conceived of something so silly as that. And, uh, and so the question is, well, then what is it that causes price? So Adam Smith says, uh, quoting here, the word value has two different meanings and sometimes expresses the utility, the use of some particular object, and sometimes the power of purchasing other goods which the possession of that object conveys. The one may be called value in use and the other value in exchange. And so Adam Smith said there's two different ways you get value, right? One is that, that it is useful to someone else, and so you know, essentially the other person puts the value on it. Um, and the other is that it's useful, it's intrinsically useful somehow. And so here's where we get to the meat of the paradox. Quote, the things that have the greatest value in use have frequently little or no value in exchange. Nothing is more useful than water, but it will purchase scarcely anything. Those things which have the greatest value in exchange have frequently little or no value in use. A diamond has scarce any value in use, but a great many quantity of other goods may, be, may frequently be had in exchange for it. So 
that's sort of his his fundamental question. In what way is a diamond more valuable than water when I can't live without water? And so, you know, Smith goes down a bit of a rabbit hole after this to explain. Um, he kind of builds a labor theory of value where the diamond is more valuable because it's harder to obtain. Uh, and, 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 and sort of, so he kind of goes down that, a, a direction that, um, has some value to it, but isn't isn't necessarily the right answer. And the and the real kernel of the right answer is that price and relative prices are determined in large part by the relative scarcities of the things that we're exchanging. A diamond is not more valuable because it's more useful. It's more valuable because it's there aren't that many of them. Uh, and so and so that's really the the resolution of the paradox. That Smith doesn't resolve, but we know the answer uh, to that today. Now, why do we care? And that's really the question. That's why we're here today. Why do we care about the diamond water paradox? Why do we care about the the realization that it's relative scarcity that causes relative prices? Um, and the reason we care is that the intuition about what happens when relative scarcities change is important to the discussion of inflation. So let's suppose that diamonds uh, suddenly grow on trees. We discover that there is a tree somewhere in Brazil and, uh, and we can harvest all of the diamonds that we want from this, from this tree. And so suddenly diamonds really are as common, as easy to get as water. Uh, so now somebody comes up to you with a case of Poland spring water and wants to exchange it for your case of diamonds. And that's a fair trade now um, because diamonds are everywhere. Okay. And so we, we sort of know that happens, right? Every time you see a bumper crop of corn, what happens to the price of corn? It goes down. And so we all, you know, that's, that's very clearly an important part of what's going on. Um, and we, let's think about how this manifests or how it historically has manifested in terms of, of inflation. So I want you to put yourself in 1849, California, in the middle of the gold rush. Okay, you're in a mining town and gold has been discovered in them thar hills. There's been a massive increase in gold supply. People are walking into town with nuggets of gold. Keeping in mind that at the time, gold is literally the coin of the realm. You can buy things with gold, literally with gold. Now, what happened historically to the prices of picks and shovels and beer and ladies of the night and shoe shines? And I don't know if there were shoe shines in 1849 California, but you get my point. All sorts of goods and services. What happened to those prices? And we know historically that the prices uh, in those towns rose enormously when the gold rush, when this gold started flowing into town. So, and why is that? Why suddenly did prices go up? Uh, it wasn't that all of a sudden these things were more scarce. It wasn't all of a sudden that it was harder to find beer. It was that beer was, was now more scarce relative to gold, or gold is now more common relative to the same amount of beer. So beer isn't in short supply. And so 
so what we're seeing there is a change in price, a change in the price level that's attributable to a vast increase in what was the money supply of the day. Now, that has its own lessons today, but I want to go a little bit further here and, and I want to talk about how that, that inflation actually manifested, okay, and how it happened. It didn't happen when, you know, the guy who uh, owns the bar saw a person walk down out of the mountains uh, or, or away from the stream where he was paying for gold with a big nugget and say, you know what, I'm going to raise all my prices because all of a sudden this guy has gold. That's not how it happened. Okay, what happened was all of a sudden you know, the person comes in who has gold and he buys a round for everybody in the place. And then he buys another round. He buys another round. And pretty soon the bartender is out of beer. And the purveyor of picks is out of picks. And the purveyor of shovels is out of shovels. And so if you're looking at this, uh, you might look at that and say, gosh, there's been a big problem in the supply chain. We are having big shortages of picks and shovels and beer. But obviously, it isn't actually a shortage. It's not a supply side phenomenon. What is happening is that you have a shortage, but it's a shortage at the prior price. Because remember what price does. Price is the throttle. It's what... It's what takes the, puts the supply and demand together and rations a given amount of supply amongst the people who will demand it. And so when you see price go up, it's not immediately obvious whether it's a demand shift or a supply shift or what exactly is happening here. And so it can initially be perceived, and often is, as something that's supply side driven. In recent days, we've had a problem that we have, we've started to have this big shortage of new cars. I'm saying new cars because on, in used car terms, you know, there really was something of a, of a supply shock having to do with the last year's new car fleets becoming this year's used car fleets. But with new cars, you know, we're starting to see those prices go up. And, uh, and by the way, we could also talk about dishwashers and, and jacuzzi spas and things like that, where all of a sudden it's sort of hard to find a lot of these things. And is that because there's a supply shock going, going around everywhere? Uh, or is it because there's just this massive real demand of real units? And the answer is neither. What has happened in this case, as it did in 1849 California, is that the relative scarcity of money, uh, has has it has become relatively less scarce and and therefore cheaper the money has gone down in value and the other and the way we see this is that the prices of things denominated in money or denominated in units of gold the prices of those things go up but the point i'm trying to make here is that it initially looks a lot like a supply shock now, obviously, the significance and the reason I'm raising this right now is that you read a lot today about how inflation is transitory because the real problem we have is that supply, the supply chain just can't keep up. You know, the big shipping problems, which there are, there's shortages of packaging materials, which there are, there's shortages of computer chips, which there are and so on. And so it's a big supply chain problem. And as soon as the supply chain problem gets ironed out, 
then everything will go back to normal. But what I'm here to tell you is that that's not what is really happening. What is really happening is that this is a question of relative scarcities. It's a relative scarcity of goods compared to money is what is actually happening here. And so what will happen eventually as these supply chain problems get corrected is that the rate at which prices are going up might might ebb. We're not going to have 5, 6, 8, 10% inflation and they're just continuing to accelerate. But the prices aren't going to go back down. You're going to have a permanently higher price level. And the only question is how fast do we get to that new price level? And the price level is determined by how much more money is out there. What's the relative scarcity of money? What has changed about it? And moreover, if you keep adding money, then you keep changing where that eventual price level has to go because you're continuing to change the relative scarcity of money. Think about the diamonds growing on the trees, okay? If all of a sudden diamonds stopped growing on trees again, it wouldn't take away the fact that we still had a whole lot of diamonds out there that we didn't have before. And so the trade between diamonds and water, that, that those relative prices wouldn't go back to the prior level. They would, they would stay at the new level. And these wouldn't, it wouldn't keep changing because diamonds are no longer being produced. Okay, but if we continue to produce diamonds on trees, then they will get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper relative to water. And the exact same thing happens to money. If we keep growing money on trees, then you will keep having that exact same effect. Now, I think people, when they're forecasting inflation, we tend to get a little wrapped around the axle trying to figure out where it's going to come from looking at product markets and trying to figure out you know wh why used car prices are going up or why um, uh, why rents are not going up as fast as we think they should and, and so on that's very micro but when I think about this I kind of I go back to what you know John Malden uh, who's a, a popular writer he used to say uh, back when he was talking about, how an expanding economy would, would take care of all these new, new people. Where would we find three million new jobs? And he would say, I don't know where we will find three million new jobs. I don't know where they'll come from, but they will. A real confidence is what he was exhibiting in the invisible hand, going back to Adam Smith, where we started this whole conversation. And the same is true of inflation. I don't know where the inflation is going to come from. I don't know how we're going to achieve this higher price level, but I know that we will. I know that we must because it's all about relative scarcities. And I know, therefore, that the price level must change. And the way it will manifest is in things that are shortages at the prior price that force a higher price to ration these relative scarcities and that some people will say is a supply constraint rather than attributing it correctly to money growing on trees. And so that seems like a decent place to stop. The diamond water paradox and what it tells us about the importance of scarcity in setting relative prices and what that means for 
inflation when what is changing, what we're printing is not diamonds, but money. Thanks for tuning in. I want to remind you that if you would like to send me a note, if you get the Inflation Guy app, from, it's free and it's in your app store. And if you can get that app and, and send me a note, I will respond to you. Or you can go to EnduringInvestments.com and fill out the contact form there and I'll respond to you. Uh, please be sure to spread the word about the, the Inflation Guy podcast, Sense and Sensibility. And thank you for tuning in. I am Michael Ashton. I am the inflation guy, and I want you to defend your money. If inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.